God's peace. We will begin with hymn 92 at Calvary.
Let us begin our service in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our scripture reading is found in Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 to 19. And we read in the name of Jesus. Therefore, also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Heathen. Amen. Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Almighty God, we come before you this evening thankful for all that you have done for us, for the gifts that you give us of fellowship. We pray your blessing as we gather around your word. We pray that you would be with those who are hurting and ailing, those that are on our prayer list, those that are suffering from abuse or mental illness, those that are in need of your assistance, those that mourn. We pray, Lord, be our help in time of need. We pray for our nation, for our government, for our leaders, for our soldiers and police officers. We ask, Lord, that you would protect them, that you would give them wisdom, that you would guide them. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with us. We cast all our cares on you as you care for us, praying that in your mercy you will hear, you will hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now hear us, Lord, as we pray that most perfect prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hymn number 72, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross.
I bring you greetings of grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is found in John chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 29 to 34. And we read in the name of Jesus. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I, am new, and I, knew, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, the words that ring out into our ears are these. Remember, O man, that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. This isn't a condemnation if you forgot Valentine's Day. It's because it's Ash Wednesday, and that is the, um, in churches that um, observe the imposition of ashes, this is what the pastor says when he puts the ashes on your forehead. Remember, O man, that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. When I was living in South Carolina, Pastor Raymond Hillman, uh, my, my mentor, who, whom I interned with, um, he told me when, when, we, when I got the opportunity that I should go to other churches, especially on these days that we're not so familiar with. And up until that day, I had never celebrated Ash Wednesday before. I don't even know if I'd ever really heard about it, except for just reading about it in seminary. But I went to a Lutheran church that had an Ash Wednesday service. And um, it was the, towards the beginning of the service, it kind of looked like communion, but we came up to the altar, we kneeled, knelt at the altar, and the pastor came with a dish, and he, he um, took some ashes, and he made the sign of the cross on my forehead, saying, Remember, O man, that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. And I gotta say, it was kind of an unsettling experience for me. I'd never had anything like that um, done, and I was a little bit uncomfortable. But I was struck with those words, and I remember getting up and not really knowing what to expect and going back to my seat and kind of contemplating my mortality, that I'm dust and someday I'm going to die. And at that moment in their liturgy, they had us meditate on our sinful condition. It was quite, um, quite appropriate. And then the pastor, um, or, and then we confessed our sins, and then the pastor absolved us. And I'll tell you what, that absolution, it came to me as the, um, as the ultimate cure. Remember, O oh man, that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. 
But then God in his mercy has put away your sin. You shall not die. Your sins are all forgiven in the precious name and blood of Jesus. I forgive you. That is the antidote to our mortality, the problem that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. That Christ, because of his sacrifice, death will not have hold of us. And so today we observe Ash Wednesday, and we might not have ashes to um, place on your forehead, but we certainly can meditate a little bit about it. I remember I left the church that day um, feeling pretty good, like I'd learned something maybe, like I'd experienced something profound, and um, uh, it was Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd in Cherrydale, South Carolina, if you're curious, and... uh, I remember driving and going and maybe getting something to eat after the service, and as I was pulling out of the drive-thru, I looked in the rearview mirror. I saw that I still had the ashes on my forehead, so I scrubbed them off real quick. I was kind of embarrassed about it. And um, I kind of got to thinking that at at least that was a mark that I could scrub off. Um, But that's something. there's something to being sinners and dealing with sin in our life. You know, we can't scrub off every scar that we have as a result of sin. We can't just erase what's happened to us or what we've done. And we all, we find that the longer we live, the more regrets we seem to pile up. Regret over sin, over who we are and what we've done. And so in in Lent and going through this season, it tends to be a time of introspection and repentance in preparation for Easter. And what I'd like to do this Lenten season is go through, um, we'll call it a little sermon series during these midweek services, and uh, we'll even continue it all the way till Easter. We'll be preaching on the lectionary texts on Sunday, but we'll be deviating a little bit on these Wednesday nights, and we're going to focus on those um, witnesses of Christ, um, those, those people who interacted, who saw him, and who recorded for us. And the first witness we have here is John the Baptist. And in our text, he says it. He says, I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. He says, I saw and witnessed it, that this is the Son of God. Earlier in the chapter, he, it says that John was not the light, but he came to be a witness of the light, the light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And when he sees him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Easy words to gloss over. But understand what it means. Jesus takes away the sin of the world. In a world that has no sin, there should be no regret, no shame, no guilt. So how is it that we still experience those things? We still sin, and as a result of that, we still feel guilt over what we have done. And people sin against us, and so we feel shame for what's been done to us. I think there's a couple of ways that we tend to deal with sin in our life. And the first way is to be defensive, where we focus on maintaining our innocence rather than asking for forgiveness. 
where we deny, 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 we don't talk about it, that might expose us, and we certainly never ever would think about confessing. We just worry about covering it up, and then we don't have to focus on it or address it. Another way we can deal with it is to um, be defeated. It's not just that we made a mistake, but that we are a mistake. You see the difference? Shame and blame, we beat ourselves up repeatedly, time after time after time. We become our own judge, jury, and district attorney with the accusing finger pointing at us, telling us that there will never be forgiveness for us. And both of those attitudes are equally wrong. Defensive people try to hide it. And when we're defeated, we relive it day after day after day after day. And that's no way to live. But here John reveals to us a better way. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, in Greek, literally means to look upon, to gaze upon, to see. Behold, look, view. The Lamb of God. Now, we might not understand this reference, but to anybody there during that time and in that place, they would recognize this reference as to the Passover. The lamb that had to be without spot or blemish. The lamb that was slain with its door, with its blood spread over the doorpost so that when the angel of death came, he would see the blood and pass over them. And this is the declaration that John is making about Jesus. That he comes to take away the sin of the world. And if he comes to take away the sin of the world, then he also comes to take away our sin. He also comes to take away our guilt and our shame. And you might say, but, but why then, if he takes this away, why do I still feel it? Well, the first thing we have to recognize is that John, Don, John doesn't say, behold the Lamb of God who took away. He doesn't refer to it as a past tense action or who will take away, not as some future event. But he says, takes away, as a present action. And that present action is indicative for us every day of our life. Every day of our life, we are called the, to behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, presently. You know, when we're in the grips and throes of guilt or despair over what we have done, we can splash water on our face. We can try to forget. But none of that really helps. It's only going to Jesus. I'm sure you've done some terrible things in your life. And I'm sure those terrible things come up and haunt you time after time again. I know that um, I've had sin that I've struggled with. And you have these moments where 
you feel delivered, where you feel free, where you feel blessed with the absolution and know your sins are forgiven. And then this funny thing happens. Our memory is good and bad at the same time. We still remember the sin from 25 years ago, but forget the absolution that happened immediately after. And then we're overcome by shame that we did those things, guilt over it. And we feel that if, it, if word ever got out that we did that, oh man, we'd lose it all. Or maybe stuff has happened to you. Maybe someone sinned against you. You've been betrayed. You've been abused. You've suffered at someone else's hands. And you're overcome with bitterness and despair and shame over what was done to you. In both of those situations, Jesus takes away the sin of the world. And this should be our prayer every day. Jesus, take away my sin. Cast all your cares on him, for he careth for you, Peter says. A lot of times I feel um, kind of weird when um, I hear stories of God delivering people from sin. Um, uh, you know, I've, 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 we hear it all the time, you know, someone who was struggling with a certain activity and sudden it wasn't a struggle for them anymore. And usually those kinds of stories make me feel despair because that's just not my experience. I've prayed for God to take away certain sins out of my life over and over and over again and it seems like he doesn't want to. And we can come up with some really good sounding reasons as to why. Well, he wants us to change our behavior. He wants us to, um, you know, he's not the God of enabling, so he doesn't just enable us by taking away our desire to sin. He wants us to overcome it. But the truth of the matter is, why it seems that God takes away, um, delivers people from certain behaviors and why he doesn't, it's not revealed to us. We all have our own trials and crosses that we're going to have to bear in our life. And it might not, it might be if we're, if you're struggling with something, if you're an addict, you know, you might be free from it, but you know you're still an addict. And it might be something you struggle with for the rest of your life. But that's not what John's getting at when he says takes away the sin. He's not talking about taking away the activity. He's not saying you're never going to commit something that is wrong anymore. He's not saying you're in this life going to live a perfect life because Jesus will literally pluck the sin out of your life. He's talking about something much more amazing. When he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's speaking to what Jesus would accomplish, what Jesus does accomplish for us on the cross. That is shed shedding his blood to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice. He doesn't just deliver us from the activity. He delivers us from the shame, from the guilt, from the sin itself. He takes it upon himself as if he's the one who's committed those evil deeds. He makes them his own. He takes them from you. They don't belong to you anymore. And he gives you his perfection. It's quite profound. And it's something I don't think we will ever fully grasp. That God could literally take away our sin and put it on his son. And then give us his righteousness. Cover us with his holy and precious blood. 
but this is what Jesus has done. And our problem isn't that we're sinners and we sin. I mean, obviously, it's a problem for all of us, but the bigger issue is that we forget Jesus, that we forget his grace, that we forget his mercy, that we allow ourselves to be eaten up by shame, by guilt, by despair, that we allow ourselves to wallow and ruminate and feel unworthy of even walking into the door like somehow sinners aren't welcome here. This is not a place for, for people who have no sin. This is only a place for sinners. This is only for people who don't measure up. This place is only for you. We're all in that same club. Our problem is that in our guilt and in our shame, in our defensiveness and in our defeatism, God who takes away the sin of the world, And so we need to be diligent in prayer that God would continually and always fix our eyes on Jesus. We all bear the scars of what we have done. But Jesus bore scars of what he did too, didn't he? The marks in his hands and the spear in his side and the prints of the nails in his feet. One of my favorite hymns and I'll humbly request maybe we sing it one of these days in Lent, Louise, is called, I know I have a lot of favorites. Um, It's called Before the Throne of God Above. And the first verse goes like this. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is is written on his heart. My name is graven on his hands. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high with Christ my Savior and my God. And that's what we're talking about. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. And one of the things that always gets me as a preacher as we tell people this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I know when I was sitting in the pew, I used to always wonder, how do I do that? How do I look to Jesus? How do I run to him? What am I supposed to do? You tell me to look at him, but I look, and where do I find him? Where is he? How do I behold him? The psalmist says, 
I lift my eyes up into the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I used to think that meant that he's just looking around trying to figure out where help's coming from. And he's looking around and thinking that it's going to come from God. But really what he's doing is he's looking, and the King James renders it hills, but I think it would be better translated as mountains. And uh, when he's writing this, the mountains that he would look upon were the holy mountain of God. And really the idea of that psalm is not just that God might help us at some undefined time and in some undefined way, but the psalmist was looking to the mountain, to God's holy mountain, where at that time his presence rested and understanding that that's where God promised to be and that that's where his help would come from. And we have the beautiful blessing to do that very same thing. Where has God promised to be for you? Where can you find him? In his word, it's one place. Through the proclamation of his word, that's another. Even now, you're beholding him when you hear his word. He promises to be with us here where two or three are gathered in his name. He promises to be in his body and blood given and shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. He promises to be in your Christian brothers and sisters. He promises to be with you. He promises never to leave you or forsake you. He promises to be there for you in prayer, not that you're going to always hear him answer, but that you're always going to know that he hears you and that he loves you with an everlasting love. And so if you're struggling to behold him, go to the places that he has promised to be for you, and that's where you will find him. You will not be disappointed. The times in our life when we struggle are the times when we avoid those places. We feel like we're beneath them or above them. And so I'm thankful that today we all together get to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and know that that includes yours and mine. Trust those words of John. Believe those words of John and know that they are for you. Because our Lord Jesus, he took those nails in his hands. He bore those wounds on that cross. He hung there. And as as the hymn writer writes, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. He hung there because of us. But he did it for us. And if we were the only ones that he would have saved, you, by yourself, he would have still done it because that is what the Father called him to do. He has our names engraved on his heart and in his hands. He took those wounds for us, and those are the only wounds that matter, not yours or mine. Because the marks that Christ bears, the wounds that he bore for us, they will never be erased. They will never be taken away. His blood will never not be there for you. It is sufficient, and it's yours, and you belong to him. And so maybe it's not too scary on Ash Wednesday to remember that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. 
because we know that for us, that enemy that the world is so afraid of, that thing that people spend their whole lives and whole life savings trying to avoid, death, we know it's not that scary for us because our Lord defeated it. And so we remember, yes, one day we are going to die. But we also know that just like our Lord when he died, we won't stay dead either. And so remember that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. But remember the wounds that Jesus bore for you. Remember that he covers your sin. And behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. Lord, help us. Help us with our sin, with our guilt, with our shame. Help us with our scars and with our wounds. Take it all away. Lord, more importantly, take us to you. Help us see you. Help us behold you. Help us receive what you would have us receive. Let us be open to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. number 105, Blessed Redeemer.
got the sign-up sheet for Wednesday night meals. Uh, next Wednesday night, there is chili that's already made. We're looking for some volunteers to uh, put it together. Uh, men's group two, I think, serves lunch or coffee next Wednesday night. And then there's coffee following our last song. Number 82, The Old Rugged Cross.